that prayer. You guys remember um, when um, Matthew 16 is when Jesus was coming to Caesarea Philippi and he kind of hesitated and asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Famous, pretty famous passage, you know, where he asked them that question and uh, they responded and said different things, right? They said, some people say that you're John the Baptist, remember that one? That John the Baptist has come back. Um, some say that you're Jeremiah. You can, you can understand why, if you've read Jeremiah lately, uh, why they might get that idea. Uh, but they said, some say you might be one of the prophets. And we can, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating to think about this. I, I want to do it with you for a few minutes tonight. I want to reflect on that part of it, one of the prophets, specifically keying in on a part of the Old Testament reading that many in our church have been doing, depending on which plan you're doing. If you're, if you're doing the, um, the Bible Project one, I think that's the one we've been putting in the bulletin. You did this part I'm going to focus on a couple months ago, at the end of April, first part of May. But that part where they say, some people are saying that you're one of the prophets. That's one thing I want you to keep in the back of your mind before we go to a couple other passages. The second one is this, or text I referred to recently. Last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus is is been resurrected, and he is he encounters these two disciples, and they're they're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're sad, you know. And he goes up to them and he says, essentially, "What's going on? Why why are you downcast? Why why are you sad?" And and they said. Where you been? You know, do you, do you have any idea what's been going on lately? Don't you know that this Jesus, whom we thought was the Messiah, they killed him. He's gone. And, of course, it's Jesus. He, he's obscuring his, his, his uh, appearance for a period of time, and he walks with the disciples to their home in Emmaus, and he breaks bread with them, and their eyes are open, and they see him for who he is. And he opened their eyes that they might see that everything in the Old Testament was talking about him. So then he goes back to Jerusalem, and he has a similar conversation with all the apostles, all 11 of them. And he says something very similar in the latter part of Luke 24. He says, he says um, everything, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to me. So, you know, we've done this a lot over the last few years. I think it's a healthy thing. I think it's one of the things that what, what I'd like to accomplish in a period of lessons over, over time, over years, is for us as a congregation to read the Bible in healthy ways. For us to read it not just to get to the end of the year and say, okay, check the box, I read through Scripture again this year, read through the whole thing, you know, all 66 books. But rather that as we read, as a congregation, as we read, that we read it in a way that God intended for us to read it. And when when Jesus asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, one of the prophets, maybe. And Jesus doesn't deny that, by the way. And then at the end of Luke, and he says, you know your Bible, the Bible that you guys have been reading, all, all the Old Testament, it was talking about, it was talking about me. So I want to kind of combine those two. It's all about me, he says, but specifically, they saw in him some clues that led them to think he's got to be in that succession of these prophets. And we're going to go back to 2 Kings. So we're going to talk about Elijah and Elisha for a few minutes. Again, what I'd like to accomplish through this is just kind of a, a I don't know, a reaffirmation or a, a further confirmation 
maybe it may be some, some teaching to you guys that as you read through the Old Testament, and if you're reading through the Bible this year, you're probably still in the Old Testament unless you're reading some different kind of plan. If you're reading it in any sense chronologically or canonically, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, you're still in the Old Testament. And so to read it, not just to get through the day's reading, but to ask yourself some question. Is there Jesus here? Where is Jesus might be the better way of saying it. Where is he? What, what do I see here? A couple of things. Um, when, so I'm, this is, I'll be sort of like a class. I, I hope you guys will feel free to respond or ask a question or whatever as we go through this. So a couple of questions. In John the Baptist, you know who John was. You know he came, he, he's, Matthew 3, it talks about John comes and he's preparing the way for the kingdom of heaven, pre- preparing the way for Jesus. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus points to John the Baptist on a couple of different occasions, and he says that John the Baptist is a prophet in the Old Testament. He comes in the spirit of a prophet of the Old Testament. Who was that prophet? Yeah, so Elijah. In fact, you get to the end of the Old Testament, you get to Malachi, chapter 4, very end of it, you know, at the end of the Old Testament. About, they're about to enter into a 400-plus year period of silence where God doesn't speak to the prophets. And, it, and it, to be honest, the Old Testament ends on, I mean, this kind of a, a dire situation. The nation of Judah has been away in captivity. They went away for 70 years. They came back, and you know, they rebuilt the wall, but they don't really have any real independence. They rebuilt the temple, but it's nothing like the one Solomon built. They, they're living there, but they're under the thumb, they're under the thumb of, you know, in, in the Old Testament, they're under the thumb of, what, Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece and um, Egypt, and there's just all sorts of things going on in this intertestamental period. But at the end of the Old Testament, they're under the thumb of Persia. And there's kind of this spirit among them that says, man, when's God going to do what he promised to do? When's he going to give us freedom again? When is that descendant of David going to come? When is that Messiah going to come? And at the end of Malachi... Malachi says this, Behold, this is like God's final word. You know, He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's Malachi 4, 5. I will send you Elijah. And so, when John the Baptist came and Jesus pointed to him and he said, This is Elijah. This is, this is the one. You've got a couple of interesting things here. Kind of stay with me, if you will, for just a few minutes. I want to... I want to walk through a progression here that will make sense in a, in a couple minutes. There are so many parallels between Elijah and John. Let me give you a couple of them. And I hope that if you're reading the Old Testament, you know that this will sound a little bit familiar because you've read about Elijah not too long ago. Here's one. This is kind of an obvious one. In 2 Kings 1.8, it says this. Talked about Elijah. He wore a garment of haircloth with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So there's Elijah. He's coming. He's like dressed in a garment of hair cloth, a girdle of leather. I mean, what in the world? So Elijah has this appearance. He comes, and Elijah, and probably John, um, Elijah comes dressing like this as a, as a constant reminder to the people of their materialism. So he's dressed in like this earthy kind of material, very common, very rugged. And it's, a, it's kind of like a constant pre- preaching 
against the materialism and how they emphasize the outward appearance. So Elijah comes dressed like that. Well, it's no coincidence that we have this at the very beginning of John's ministry, Matthew 3, 4. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So, I mean, you see, you see the parallel there, right? Remember how Elijah dressed? He dressed like this, and John comes, and he's also dressed kind of weirdly, strangely. And so you've got this, you know, not just in their appearance, but in the way that they present themselves. Elijah was, you know, he called down fire, man. He was called down fire from heaven against the false prophets in 1 Kings 18, 17, 16. Um, he was, he was kind of like, he told it like it was. He, he pronounced judgment. He, he spoke in the face of these, these kings and queens who were against him. In fact, do you remember the story of, you guys remember who was king? Who who were king and queen in Elijah's day? They hated him. Pretty well known. Yeah, Ahab and Jezebel. Man, they were mean folks. Mean, mean people. They hated Elijah. Hated him. And yet Elijah stood up to them and said, "This is look. This is this is the word of God. This is this is what's going to happen." You know. There's you, you go to the ministry of John the Baptist, and you remember John's being willing to stand to speak truth in the face of power. Remember that? John went to. King Herod, he said to King Herod, this woman you're married to is not your wife. Remember what Herod did? Put John in prison, ultimately Herod's wife, and the whole dancing thing with her daughter and John the Baptist and the queen, as it were, said, well, I want his head on a platter, you know? So, so you, got, you got Elijah going to Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel wanted him dead, you know? You got that thing. Then you got, you got John the Baptist speaking as well to people in positions of power, unafraid to go to Herod, knowing how this might turn out. And Ahab, uh, rather, Herod and his wife led to uh, John's death. So, so you've got these, these parallels that are, that are very clear. They're not just coincidental. You would agree with that, right? They're not just, it's not just like, well, it just happened to be that way. No, it's intentional for John to show us that he comes in the spirit of Elijah. He's preaching the same way. He's wearing the same kind of clothes. He speaks truth to these people in positions of power. I mean, you've just got, you've just got this really this interesting symmetry between Elijah and John. Now, another question. Who comes after Elijah? Elisha. And Elijah handed the reins of prophecy, if you will, the prophetic mantle, literally a mantle. He handed it to Elisha. John the Baptist designates one who is to follow him. And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. So, I don't know, we thought about the first one. What I've been talking about, it's, I guess we've talked about that one more, that Elijah is a type of John, that you see in Elijah things that come out in John. But we haven't talked about this one as much, and this is where I want to spend the next few minutes. That after Elijah is Elisha, and after John is Jesus, you think that maybe we might expect to see a lot of the things in Elisha's life that point us to a greater prophet. I don't know if you've thought about that or not before, but it is, it's all over the place. I mean, it's really, it's really cool. So let me, let me give you, there, there are a bunch of these, but I'm going to give you about three or four just, just very briefly. To, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to see that the way this works, is, it's intentional. And, and I guess my agenda here is 
not only do I want us to be a congregation that reads the Bible in a healthy way, and that is we read it to see what God is teaching us about Jesus, but also I hope it might strengthen your faith to see these things again and again, that the Bible is not just a randomly thrown together collection of books written by different people groups all over the world over a period of you know a couple thousand years, but rather it is a divinely orchestrated body of material with a cohesive narrative that leads us to Jesus. And that is a faith-strengthening thing for us. When we get to this and we see, man, this is so awesome, you know, and it like I never I, it never ceases to amaze me to as you keep studying the Bible, you know, year after year after year, and you run across new stuff that you've never seen before, and it's like, oh wow, that's something else that that just kind of deepens our faith and uh, helps us to recognize the Bible is God's word and helps point us to Jesus, and and that's where our faith goes anyway. So Elijah's name means God is salvation. And Jesus' name means Yahweh will save or God will save. So you see these, you know, even in the name, um, God is salvation, Elisha, Jesus, Jesus, Yahweh will save. The roots of their names are very similar. Now, a couple of things. I don't know how much of this I want to ask you to turn to, but I am going to mention several passages do you remember when Elijah passed the mantle, the prophetic mantle, over to Elisha? Elijah to Elisha. Remember that story? It's in 2 Kings 2. Now, what happens here, and this is really all, all I want you to notice that you may not have thought about before, that they're both standing by the Jordan. This is in 2 Kings 2, 7, starting in verse 7. Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up, struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other. And that, that ought to make us remember. There's, remember, there's continuity. There, there's stories that repeat themselves, right? Remember God parted the waters at when they were coming out of Egypt, right? Part of the Red Sea. When they got ready to go into the land of Canaan, this is another significant moment. God parted the Jordan River. And now, here again, they're standing by the Jordan. And uh, Elijah takes his cloak, he rolls it up, he strikes the water, and the water is parted from one side to the other. And they walk over on dry ground. Now here's, here's the thing. This is when Elijah goes to heaven on this chariot of fire and all that. It says this at the end of the text. Um, Elisha took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is when Elisha received the spirit of Elijah. Now this happened on the other side of the Jordan River. If you look at this closely, you look at this in 2 Kings 2, and you go in your mind to John 1 you will notice that Elisha goes into the water, goes into the Jordan River with the water walled up on either side in the same general location where Jesus, it's very clear in John 1.28, when Jesus was baptized of John, that it happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So it's just an interesting thing that Elisha receives the Spirit at the Jordan River, a specific location, there's water, the water of the Jordan River surrounding him, and Jesus goes down into the water in the same general area in the Jordan River. That's the time when John baptized him. He's passing, if you will. He's, 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 he's not that John has authority over Jesus, of course, but John is recognizing publicly that Jesus is the one, right, with the baptism 
And you remember the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. God says, this is my beloved son, right? So you've just got this parallel of Elijah to Elisha in the Jordan, in the waters of the Jordan River. You've got John the Baptist to Jesus in the waters of the Jordan River, and Jesus receives the Spirit of God. So at the beginning of their ministry, you've got this parallel that isn't coincidental. Let me go through several just quickly. 2 Kings 5 tells us the story about Elisha and Naaman. What was Naaman's health condition? Yeah, he had leprosy. Remember any times in Jesus' life when Jesus reached out to lepers and cleansed them? I mean, you just got these, these things that are, that are intentional, these stories of Elisha healing leprosy. And it's a lesser to the greater. I'll show you that in a minute. But, but Jesus heals on numbers of occasions. He heals these people who, who have leprosy. You may remember, if you've been reading the Old Testament, you may, may remember 2 Kings 4, when, G, when uh, Elisha, on two different occasions, maybe the one that's more memorable, is when there was this wealthy woman, a Shunammite woman, who didn't have any kids, and Elisha said, about this time next year, you're going to give birth to a, to a child. Time passes, she has the child. child grows up. He's out in the field working with his dad. He says, my head, my head. Some sort of, a, some sort of health crisis. He, he goes unconscious, take him back to the house, and he dies. She sends word to Elisha. And Elisha, you may remember, he comes back to her house. He stretches out over the boy, and the boy comes back to life. A widow's son was raised from the dead. There's another time, you may remember this one, when Jesus was walking along with his disciples and he came upon a funeral procession and in the coffin was a boy. You remember the story? The boy was the only son of a widow and she was mourning over the loss of her son. And Jesus, of course, raised the, the son of the widow of Nain from the grave. You just got this continue these, these similar kinds of events happening, lepers and, 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 the, and the children of widows receiving life again. Uh, there's this, this is not as well known. In fact, you know, this is one of those stories that I, for whatever reason, had read over and didn't remember. But at the end of 2 Kings 4, let me just read you. There's some, it's only like three verses here. A man came from Belshalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits. 20 loaves of barley, 20, remember, just, just kind of remember that, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Now I said, you remember that story? That's, that was not as well known, you know? You got a hundred guys, you got twenty loaves of barley and some grain, and he's like, That's not enough to feed a hundred people. These guys eat a lot, you know. And Elisha says, just feed it to them, and you'll have some left over. Twenty loaves, a hundred guys, you got some left over. I mean, obviously, right? You see the connection here. Uh, we're going to study this one soon in Sunday morning, so I'm not going to say um, much about it, but, but you remember the story, of course. You've got thousands, 5,000 on one occasion, 4,000 on another. You've got just a, just a little bread, a little fish, you know. What, how are we going to feed this many people? We don't have enough food to feed these people. 
And Jesus says, feed them. And they took up a bunch of baskets left over, right? So remember I said lesser to the greater? You've got Elisha that is a type or a, a foreshadowing of the one to come. But 20 loaves of barley for 100 or a few loaves for 5,000. See the, see the trajectory there? It's just pretty cool how this stuff works, you know? Jesus intentionally came to show to the, to the crowd that he was in the line of the prophets. He was a prophet, but one with a capital P. One, the, the prophet to end all prophecy. The one who steps into that line of Elijah and Elisha and on down in order to speak the Word of God and perform these miraculous things to show this is the Word of God, but he was to be the last one. So you've got this, this upward trajectory from Elijah to Elisha and on that point us to Jesus. There was this one occasion, in fact, the Shunammite, um, Jesus spent time among, I mean, uh, Elisha spent time among the Gentiles. He went outside of the borders of Israel to bring healing and blessing to those who weren't, who weren't Jewish. And Jesus was criticized on one occasion because he was doing that. And he responded. In fact, he specifically mentioned Elisha. Don't you remember Elisha who went to the Gentiles and healed the, or, or blessed the widow who was a Gentile? And so Jesus himself reaching out the borders, outside the borders of Israel. What about this one? Story in 2 Kings 5, after the healing of Naaman, and Naaman wanted to give a gift, and you remember that Elisha said, no, I don't, want to, I don't want a gift. And so Elisha had this servant whose name was Gehazi, and Gehazi ran after Naaman. Didn't, he was doing this you know, deceitfully. He ran after Naaman, and he said, wait a second, my master forgot. He really did want a gift, you know. Uh, didn't end well for Gehazi. It wasn't a smart thing to do. It was a greedy thing. It was a deceptive thing, and he ends up taking on the leprosy that Naaman had been cleansed of. So you've got that Elisha's servant, Gehazi, motivated by greed, and he ends up going around behind his master's back. And of course, you see some parallels there with one of Jesus' disciples who was likewise greedy and engaged in deceptive, underhanded behavior behind the back of his master. Uh, one more. This one, too, may not be as well known. But maybe this is the best one of all. Let me read it to you. 2 Kings 13. See if you can see how this might be a little bit of foreshadowing. 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Remember that story? That was not that well known. So Elisha's dead and in the tomb. And this man is killed, got killed and was buried. And they threw his body into the grave of Elisha. And when his body touched Elisha's bones came back to life. Remember? Lesser to the greater. You got these hints here. And, and the beauty of this story is that Elisha, of course, he died and stayed in the grave, but there was something miraculous about his presence that brought life to others. And of course, Jesus went into the grave and he came back to life himself. He was resurrected, bringing life to all through that event. 
Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, it's pretty neat. You know, Jesus says, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to me in some way. And yet we, t- we too often, I too often, you know, we, we read it, we read these stories, and maybe we take some sort of a moral lesson from, well, I ought to do this, I ought, ought not do that, you know, stuff like that, which there's a place and time for that. But sometimes we miss just the beauty of the way God has unfolded his, his story over time and, and, and showing us through Elijah to Elisha, from John to Jesus, that you've got this continuity, these stories that are told again and again, but they, they kind of cycle through and ultimately they get bigger and better, culminating in the life of Jesus, who is the prophet with a capital P. He's the king with a capital K. You know, he's the, he's the Davidic king who is not burdened by sin like David. You know, he's the prophet who, who didn't want to throw in the towel like Elijah. You know? So he's, he's, you've got this continuity. And I think it's pretty neat. Now, I want to show you something else, and we'll finish with this. There's also a sense in which Elisha, not only does he point to Jesus, but there's a sense in which you can even, you can even find his foreshadowing for you and me, our own response to Jesus. So you got this. Let me read you something here. Just as you listen to this, see if this reminds you of anything that Jesus said. This is 1 Kings 19. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assist, assisted him. Does that sound familiar to you? From the ministry of Jesus, from the teaching of Jesus? Um, Jesus in Luke 9, this is, this is where... This is where Jesus is drawing from. And, you know, it's interesting. Jesus says stuff like this, and sometimes we get a little bit confused because we're not as steeped in the Old Testament as his hearers were. They would have immediately seen this. You know, they would have heard this when they heard these words. This is at the end of Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see the parallels there? Elijah comes to Elisha. He's passing the mantle on, or he soon will. And Elisha says, Let me first go and say farewell. And Elijah says, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And he does, and he kills the oxen, but but he... but that's just a, it's really, he, he goes and he, he essentially gets rid of anything that, that, that might be holding him home. That, that wasn't a, a thing where Elisha's having second, he's having, making second questions, he's having doubts. You know, he, he goes back and he, he, he just gets rid of everything because he, he recognizes the call that's upon his life to follow in the footsteps of Elisha. In a similar way, Jesus comes to you and me and he says, I want you to burn your oxen. I want you to destroy your oxen. I want you to burn, uh, burn the yoke. I want you to just get rid of it all. 
That's what he's talking about in Luke 9 when he says to the people, um, when, he, when he says to the people, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, you know, essentially, a greater one than Elijah or Elisha stands before you now. What are you going to do? See, when you and I believe what we've studied tonight, that you've got Elijah and Elisha, and I mean, you can go on through the prophets, that, that, that they were just a very, very faint light, you know, just a faint glimmer of that light which was to come. And yet they were willing to give their lives to follow and to do and to teach. And Jesus comes to us. He is the one to fulfill that trajectory. And He comes to us and He says, follow me. What do you think our allegiance ought to be to Him? You know? If Elisha was willing to do that, to follow in the footsteps of Elijah, then what do you think Jesus is asking you and me to do? So I think there's so many things that come out of this. Uh, one is, you know, read the Scripture and look for Jesus. That's, that's one thing. Second thing is, let your faith be strengthened in seeing that how God has unfolded the story over many, many years in different ways, and the story keeps coming to us again and again, and it's leading us somewhere. And then when we get led to that place, when we get there, what do we do? I don't know of any other choice that we have but to do what Elisha did. And that is, I mean, at least symbolically, metaphorically, to say to the one who's calling us, I'm going to turn my back on anything that holds me back. Anything. I'm going to get rid of it, no matter what it is, and I'm going to follow you. That is the principle, you know, that, that comes out of the prophets there and that we see in the life of Jesus. So anyway, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to share with you tonight, just a, kind of a faith-strengthening thing, I hope in some way, uh, to remind us again of the way the Bible story is told, the way it unfolds. I don't know, anybody got any uh, questions or comments? Hope you guys have a great day tomorrow. And uh, be safe. And if folks are joining us online, uh, out of town, be safe on your drive home. Um, we're going to finish up with a prayer. And I uh, look forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday, as Johnny announced this morning. Just please remember that our summer series starts on Wednesday. And Daniel Currington from Palisades will be here. It's a good lineup, I think. I'm pretty excited about the next 13 weeks. And I uh, hope you'll plan to be here if you can. I know there's stuff going on and all that. But I hope that, uh, I hope that we'll be able to support it and be here when we can. Let's pray, and then we'll be... Oh, yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, one more thing. There's somebody here who needs to take communion. Then um, you will be given that opportunity. Just go down to my left, my left to the library, straight back that hallway into the library, and we'll serve you communion if you weren't able to take it this morning. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a good day. We do thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us with this opportunity to study. We're thankful for Jesus who raised the dead and then who himself was raised from the dead, giving us life and hope. And Lord, as we hear the call that you have on our lives, that we will hear that call to follow you and we will be willing to do whatever, turn our back on anything, Lord, if it means giving up whatever uh, in order to become your disciples, Lord, that we'll follow you. We're thankful as our country celebrates the 4th of July tomorrow, Independence Day, 
We are thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And we pray that we as your people will always be people who share the gospel and we take advantage of the opportunities we have to to, to let people know that we're followers of yours and how awesome you are. That we won't take it for granted. That we won't become complacent. That we'll remember that there are so many people in the world, so many followers of yours right now who live in areas, live in countries where they, they are persecuted and some of them even killed. We are grateful, Lord. Help us to just do what we need to do to be your light in this area. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.